This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Last time, we talked about the importance of being about our father's business, our father being God, the one who has placed us in the leadership positions that we have for his purposes. And today, I'm going to add to that conversation. That was sort of the preamble, the backstory, if you will. And today, I want to talk about the process that I use in Living Leadership Legacy to come alongside Christian executives who are in secular workplaces. And you might wonder, why secular workplaces? I say secular workplaces because that's the place where you may not already have a community of believers around you in the same way that you might in a Christian organization. And also because If the company is not, let's say, your own company that you started, it's a major corporation that was been in existence long before you came along and you're just serving in this executive role, there's a possibility that there may be some values in place, some practices or principles in place, which are not necessarily in alignment with who you are as a marketplace ministry leader. And navigating that can be challenging, can be difficult, and sometimes through the consultation process, we figure out what's the best way to navigate through that terrain and through those environments. So I want to mention that the process I use is a five-part process. And so I'm going to talk about the first part today, which is leverage marketplace ministry. And I'll mention all five steps, and we'll unpack those in the next couple of weeks. So leverage marketplace ministry is step one. Part two is liberate clarity. Number three, link priorities. Four, lift culture. And five, lead succession. All five of these together positions you to be an even more effective marketplace ministry leader who creates a living leadership legacy. And when I'm talking about living leadership legacy, I'm talking about leaving your organization better than you found it, leaving the people resourced and better than you found them, building into their lives through development and mentoring and coaching, and also leaving yourself in a better position in terms of where you're going next, whether you're going to a next assignment or you're going to retirement. There's still more significance in life that God has for you to live out, more divine appointments he wants to send your way. And so we want to talk about the intentionality of all of that and setting it up in advance. So today, as we kind of unpack Leverage Marketplace Ministry, what this is about is all about leading yourself first. And for those of you who don't know, I wrote a book called Lead Yourself First, And in the book, I share the lessons that I've learned in my life that 
through obstacles, through challenges, through circumstances, God wanted me to get a picture of what life was about and how I could use those lessons he used for me to also sometimes encourage someone else on their journey. There are lots of lessons in the book. I'll just mention a couple right now. One is the whole notion about run your own race. You can look around you and you might see that your friend is the CEO of a larger company than you are, or is in what looks like a better position. Keep in mind, you are running your race. God has you where he wants you to be. And how you run it is going to be different than how someone else may run theirs. So when I was in the army, we would have to run two miles and it was a timed exercise. And we had to finish the two miles within a certain period of time and so on. And I remember that starting out at the starting block, the starting gate, my colleagues would just be flying, going really, really fast. And what I learned is that if I started off fast right from the starting block, it probably was going to cause a cramp down the line. And then I was going to run into a challenge or a problem and have to slow down and stop. So the better strategy for me was to start off at a more moderate pace to gradually gain steam, get to my real zone training speed, as I want to call it, and stay at that speed and get through the finish line. And what I noticed is I would see people who had been sidelined along the way. People started off fast from the starting block. However, I was passing them by the method I was using. So sometimes you can't just look at what other people are doing. You have to see how are you built? How are you wired? How has God put you together? What strengths has he given you that you can leverage so that you run your own race in the way that's best for you? So that was one of the lessons out of my book, Lead Yourself First. Another lesson out of the book has to do with what I call blizzard food. There was a time when we had this huge blizzard here in Colorado. We had about four feet of snow. And I was planning a big, huge birthday party for my husband. So I had downsized all of the food out of the house because it was catered. We had 70 people coming over. And my husband's parents were also here from Washington State. So the blizzard rolls in unexpectedly, totally unannounced. And it's the night before the party that I was having for my husband, which was a retirement party. And it was also the day of his birthday that the snowstorm started. And we were supposed to go out to dinner for his birthday. And so the snow was so severe, I had to send a car service to go get the food from the restaurant to bring to the house so we could have the birthday at the house. But in the meantime, I had downsized all of this food out of the house so that the caterer could come in the next day and fill the refrigerator with the catered food. Now, this blizzard was going to last for a few days, and it looked as if there was no food in the refrigerator. It looked as if there was nothing in the closet. And what I discovered is that if you look hard enough, there is what I call blizzard food, stuff you wouldn't normally think of creating or making. And I had to get in there and create blizzard food to bake meals to serve to my in-laws who were here at the time. Of course, the parties all got canceled and everything else. However, we did eat. We didn't starve and we ate well. And in our lives, God has blizzard food for us too at different times. So we want to start with lead yourself first, which means looking at you. 
what's going on in your life. What has God already done? And what else remains for him to do in your life? So in this whole segment of leveraging marketplace ministry and doing the self-examination first, I want to mention just a couple of points that we mentioned before, and that is the preparation that God did in other people's lives before they actually started their public ministry or before they started the most significant part of the work that God had called them to. So in Jesus' case, he didn't start his public ministry until he was over 30. That's a long time. So he spent 30 years in preparation, seeing what was going on down here on the earth. He was sent to fulfill the law. So he had to live out life under the law in a perfect way, something that the first Adam was unable to do. So Jesus had to live long enough so that we could see he went through every kind of challenge that we might go through as well. And yet he was able to do what God wanted him to do in all of that time. And then after this, you know, more than 30 year period, he then starts his public ministry and doing a lot of the work that God had called him to do while he was here. And we mentioned last time that even when he was about 12 years old and in the temple, he was aware of his ministry. He was aware of his calling. He knew why he was here. He knew the purpose for which he came. And yet he was waiting for the right time because God had said it was in the fullness of time that God had sent his son to do the things he had called him to do and to go through birth and all the things that we go through as well so he could be a true high priest for us and intercede on our behalf, having gone through many of the same challenges we go through as well. So in Jesus' case, son of God, more than 30 years of preparation. We also look at Moses, who, even though he was trained in Pharaoh's house, did not come out immediately and at that time lead God's people out of captivity. After he killed the Egyptian, which signaled that he was getting ahead of God and doing things in a way that was different from how God planned the deliverance, he had to go 40 years on the backside of the desert, as I call it, over to the land of Midian. And over there, he learned how to wait on God. And over there, he learned humility while he was waiting. And it wasn't until after that period of learning humility and being on the backside of the desert that God then appeared to him in the burning bush and then said, now I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. So, Moses was probably close to about 80 years old at about that time. And God called him then after that 40 years of preparation, in addition to his early life preparation as well. And then we find that even the nation of Israel, even after they left out of Egyptian bondage, they still weren't ready to go to the promised land. The promised land wasn't far from Egypt. However, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. God sent them the long way to the promised land. They had to learn a few lessons. They had to learn how to trust God. They had to learn that God would provide for their needs, even when it looked like he wasn't. God provided manna every day from heaven. 
God provided water in the wilderness, in the desert, whether it came from a rock, whether it came from striking the rock, speaking to the rock, whatever they needed, God provided to the point where even their clothes and their shoes did not wear out over the 40-year period of God's preparation. After that 40 years in the desert, after all this time of murmuring and complaining against God, no matter what miracles he showed them, finally, it was time for them to cross over into the promised land and to see God's miraculous deliverance getting through Jericho, crossing the Jordan River, and so many other things that were a part of that. But that took 40 years of preparation as well. And then we find that Paul, the apostle, after he was called, he had to go away for about three years or so. And it was just him and God, and God prepared him for his ministry to the Gentiles. Even though Paul had had the outstanding education, the outstanding preparation in the scriptures from being a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. Everything pertaining to the law was done in reference to him by his family, and yet there was more preparation that God had to do so that he would learn not to operate in his own strength rather to operate only in the power and spirit of God. To the point that in the book of Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about how he didn't come with the excellence of men's words or worldly wisdom. Rather, he came to God's people with God's wisdom and what God said, because that's where the real power is. So he was prepared for that as well. Likewise, We each have to go through a long season, too, of preparation so that our character is in the right place for the spiritual warfare that we're going to encounter along the way. We are traversing through enemy territory, and the enemy does not easily give up that territory. So we have to be ready to face that kind of opposition that we will face, including in the workplace. So that means taking a good look at yourself and doing some self-examination, some self-assessment, being able to ask yourself, you know, where am I now? How have I grown so far? And where else do I need to grow? So a couple of areas, when I think about leveraging marketplace ministry, where we need to take a look. One would just be assessing your personal values. What are the values that you have and that you're bringing to the table? One value I have is that the spiritual side of things is the core and center of everything that I do. That's an important spiritual value to me. There are other values out there, such as a value of continuous learning. There's a value perhaps of excellence, of mutual respect, being strengths-based and focus and so on. So whatever these values are, integrity, honesty, you want to get clear about what yours are. And then secondly, you want to see how do your personal values align with the company values where you are? Ostensibly, there's a reason you were attracted to that company. Probably there's some connection between what the company is about and how they do business and what you are about and what you believe in 
as well. And hopefully you will see those connections. Maybe your company is one that believes in excellence. Perhaps your company believes in serving others at a high level, making a difference in the world. And so to the extent that you can see where your personal values align with the company values, you can then move more quickly to get some things done because there is a meeting of the minds there. Frequently, I find people who are in organizations that are really so far removed from their values, it's not a good fit. And in those cases, let's say the company is all about being first and number one at all costs, no matter whoever they run over, no matter who they kill in the process, no matter the casualties along the way. Maybe their whole ethos is profit first, profit only. We don't care if the people get burned up along the way. They're cogs in the wheel. They're replaceable. They're expendable. Maybe you have a company like that or speed is everything and we don't care about the quality. We just want to be first to the market. We just want to do it fast. So you want to see, are there ways in which the values may not match And if that's true and there's no matches at all, is this really the place for you to be? Or if it is, then there may be some real significant core work that God also wants you to do in that organization so that you're leaving it better than you found it. First, they'll start with you, the self-assessment. Look at how that lines up with the organization. Thirdly, you want to review your own personal preparation history, as we've been saying before, with the people we've been talking about from the Bible, your own education, the jobs you've had, your life experiences, the hardships you've overcome. When I think back in my life, there was a reason that God sent me eventually to the Jewish school to get a different kind of education than I would have had had I not gone there. There was a reason that I was involved early in my life in settings that were multicultural in nature because he was going to send me to places that were also multicultural in nature. There are reasons why I lived in various places in the United States, also lived in Germany for a period of time, and have worked across the globe, worked in different countries in Europe, worked in the Middle East, worked in Canada, Mexico, lots of different places to get different lenses and perspectives that I bring to bear on the work I do today. Similarly, God had me work in corporations, global corporations with a global footprint. In addition, major nonprofits like foundations, and in some cases, faith-based organizations, U.S. government and military, because that's also a different lens. And to be doing this now for well over 30 years, because that's bringing also insights and perspectives along the way. And for me to also have served in the military as an active duty army officer is another perspective too. So when you think back and take inventory over your life, every experience, whether it was good or bad, God can use for his purposes now, even if it was a hardship and you've weathered that and you've come through it, you can encourage someone else who's going through a hardship in the workplace today because of what you have overcome. If we've never been through anything, never overcome anything, it's difficult to encourage someone else 
when they're going through, because we have no idea. We've never been there. We've never crossed anything even similar to it. However, when you get to the level of an executive leader, chances are you've probably been through a number of different transition points that will be useful to you in your leadership today. You also want to inspect the fruit of the spirit in your life. As a believer, God gives you his spirit. And through his spirit, he gives you also fruit of the spirit. That fruit includes love, joy, peace, long-suffering to deal with some challenging situations, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You'll see those listed in Galatians 5 and verse 22. So if you're looking at your life, you say, well, I tend to be kind of joyful most of the time. I'm generally faithful. However, I don't suffer fools well. (laughs) I don't have a lot of patience. I don't have a lot of self-control. And sometimes I'm not that gentle. Well, going where God is sending you and where he's leading you, this fruit of the spirit is something to be developed. So this self-assessment and inventory is designed to let you take a look at those aspects. Also, you want to take an inventory of your spiritual gifts. We know that you have talents, education, abilities, strengths that God has given you, but you also have some spiritual gifts that only come in the spiritual realm. In my case, I know that God has given me the gift of teaching. He's given me the gift of prophecy in the sense of foretelling his word, not foretelling it, but looking at what is deeper behind that word. What is the message that God is saying to us in that word, which leads to a third spiritual gift, which is exhortation. How do you take that word and make it practical and relevant for everyday life? Well, you have spiritual gifts too, at least one. Every believer has at least one. You may have more than one. And there's a place to use those even in your marketplace at work. So all of this is about cultivating what I will call the mind of Christ. In order to do the work that God calls us to do, we must have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is one of humility. Jesus, even though he knew that he's the Messiah, he's the son of God. He did not, he knew that he was also here to do the will of his father and he submitted to the will of the father. He surrendered to him. He was the living sacrifice that we see in Romans 12, one that we're called to be a living sacrifice. So humility, being a living sacrifice, focusing on God's work from that perspective So that when the temptations come in your workplace, temptations to magnify yourself sometimes greater than your magnifying God, because you can, because you have the opportunity. Temptations to take glory to yourself rather than to give glory to God or to spread out the thanks to others in your organization who have participated in helping you to get where you are and you're only there to do what God is calling you to do. Having what I would call that sense of self-care 
so that as Jesus would retire frequently to the mountains and solitary places to spend time with the Father and to pray and to be with him, you too will need that refreshment. You too will need those periods of rejuvenation in your life and that self-care and having the mindset of God, which is a mindset of abundance. And that means even if it looks like scarcity around you, we serve a God who takes the little, the two fish and the five loaves, as as we've discussed before and talked about, he takes that and multiplies it so that 5,000 people can be fed and there'll be baskets of fragments left over. When you have that abundance mindset, you have the humility, this mind of Christ, there is no limit to what God can do through you and with you in the workplace. So I want you to think about all of this, leveraging the marketplace ministry leadership and truly living out your living, not dying, but living leadership legacy. I want to close today's segment with a reading from 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and verse 16. And this verse simply says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So with that mind, go forward to do great things, taking assessment and inventory of all that God has given you, all that he's brought you through, including the difficult times, including the hardships, including the years on the backside of the desert. He will use that powerfully, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of others in your workplace. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.